This week, we're talking with attorney Ashley Hightower. As both a creative and legal mind, she understands the world of an interior designer. We chat about navigating conflicts with clients, what to put in your contracts, and how to plan for the unexpected. It's time to get into it. Let's go. Hi, I'm Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, we wanted to share that this episode and interview were recorded in mid-April. And boy, has the world changed. So we thought we were just dealing with a global pandemic at the time, but as we all know, things got a little bit crazier in the world. So specifically, we bring up riots, and it might have sounded very casual at the time, only to discover that now we are living through a now globalized reaction to systemic racism. So when we started talking about that, just note that... (laughs) The Black Lives Matter protests had not happened yet, so that's why we don't get into that at all or act, I don't know, maybe we act a little too casual. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now we obviously recognize that what we thought was planning for the worst case scenario of something um, only highlights more why it's important to have helpful advisors to our businesses to help us consider things that we would have never planned on. Because if anything 2020 has taught us, we have no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> so we got to just plan for everything. Absolutely. So I think we're just ready to hop into the show. Welcome to the club. Hey, welcome. Excited. Today, we are stoked to be bringing you our guest today is Ashley Hightower. Ashley is an attorney with nine years of legal experience who has a fascinating career path to where she is today. She started her practice at a large national law firm as a litigator in financial services. She was also a legal editor at Bloomberg News in Washington, D.C., and she simultaneously launched her own lifestyle blog and brand, and she started her company, Contracts for Creatives, in 2016 to help creative business owners with their legal contract needs. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I know it's not always easy to clear some space in your time and your schedule. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so full disclosure for our listeners, I worked with Ashley to revise and update my contracts that were originally built off of the ASID, American Society of Interior Designers templates. And over time, they just needed some refreshing. So I want to be completely upfront that I have worked with Ashley uh, and make sure that that was kind of where... I thought, oh, if it was valuable to me, it could still be valuable to other designers out there. Yeah, yeah, we had a good time working together. Yeah, Um, that's like a good, a kind of a good place to start with your background. And I'm curious, you have covered a lot of ground already. 
Um, was it an intentional choice for you to move away from corporate litigation or what kind of drove that? Um, yeah, so like you mentioned, I practiced, so I started out of law school practicing at a large um, national law firm where I did litigation and financial services. So uh, honestly, I just went along with the law school path that you're kind of put on and, uh, you know, ended up working at a place that, you know, you get fed into a large law firm life. And so I was there and I thought living the dream of a young lawyer, but the more more I got into the practice, um, you know, everyone always says, look to your boss. Do you want to be your boss one day? Um, And as kind of my career went on, I was there for almost four years. And I would say in the third year, it's probably when I was, uh, you know, realizing I didn't want to practice at a large law firm. I didn't really want to live the firm life for that much longer. So at that point, I thought, you know, maybe I'll move into a more corporate role. Um, So that's when I started looking for other options and ended up at Bloomberg, which was a change of pace for sure. So it was more of a nine to five job, um, which, you know, then allowed me to start some other businesses on the side. Um, Once I got to Bloomberg and had some more time on my hands, kind of got introduced to a whole new community in DC, which I just refer to generally as a creative community. Um, and then once my eyes were open to to a different world, I guess, I don't know how much you want me to get into this, but um, that's kind of where I started thinking, you know, how can I use my legal degree in a way that I am helping people that I really want to help? Um, unlike, you know, in the firm practice, you're kind of handed clients that you don't necessarily have any connection to. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what got the wheels turning on the contracts or creatives business. Yeah, because you don't really get to pick clients in that corporate side of thing. Like whatever the project is, is just said, this is, you're assigned to this, start working. Exactly, yes. And I didn't even pick financial services. I was literally just put in that, (laughs) that space. And so my clients were banks and um, yeah, we did a lot of foreclosure work, which, you know, is as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> and I yeah. love, I love stories. Like I've had a kind of meandering career path too. And there are times when I was in a job that wasn't right. Like, why am I, why am I doing this? What is this adding to my life? But now like years down the road, you look back and like, okay, I was adding different tools to my tool belt and being able to create a totally unique position for yourself out of all those skills is really awesome and we can all do that yeah exactly I mean I think you nailed it like you know people that reach out I'm always happy to chat but you know some folks that are in law school and they ask how I got to where I am like it's a it was a winding path (laughs) I wasn't in law school and knew this is what I wanted to do Um, but like you said yeah every I I wouldn't be able to do what I do now without uh, having practice at a law firm. And then um, also just like being in the corporate world as well. I think that, you know, you learn so many different skills when you're in a, in kind of a traditional space that uh, has allowed me to kind of go out on my own and kind of use all those tools. Which, totally. and also like doing your side hustle, which gave you like an insight into the creative life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Once I started, so I kind of, the way I got into the creative space was by starting a blog of my own to kind of document my life in DC. Um, And that's how I kind of ended up meeting so many different bloggers and photographers and event planners, interior designers, um, florists, just kind of, you name it. My world 
you know, used to be all attorneys and so revolved around the legal space. Um, but once I was kind of introduced to that world, it just opened a whole new kind of, um, I don't know, network for me. And then of course, like, you know, realizing the need for contracts was another kind of eye opener that led to the contracts or creatives business. Let's like bite into that because I, I think it kind of makes sense when if um, listeners take a look at your blog and it, it's um, got some lifestyle, fashion, beauty um, piece of it. And I think that suddenly makes it even more apparent why you're like around any, you know, other creatives that are in that sphere out there is what, what were you seeing that was telling you that you should specialize with other creatives in, you know, the legal side of what you do? Yeah, so I started uh, my blog, Cobalt Chronicles, and um, through that I started making more blogger friends and eventually started working with brands on that um, side of my business and then obviously started working with photographers. And once I kind of got on that um, path, I myself was needing contracts. So I needed a contract to work with brands. I needed a contract to work with my photographers. Um, and then I started helping blogger friends with their contract needs once they were like, oh, Ashley's an attorney. Like maybe she could help me read Ask this her. contract <laughs> yeah, that this brand sent over. Or, you know, if, if somebody wanted to use their photo for, you know, an ad. Um, so I think once the question started coming in and it started being kind of a word of mouth, uh, you know, that I was able to help with contracts, it just kind of spiraled from there. Um, so I think it's like a lot of businesses that, you know, people start and especially as a side hustle, it kind of starts as one thing and keeps going and kind of turns into something bigger. And that's kind of what happened here. I'm curious, I might be jumping ahead, Sean, but I'm curious. Go for what, it. Um, so like I do some collaboration work with brands and like home interior brands and sometimes like you'll you probably know this like there's just the wide gamut of how brands work with influencers and bloggers on collaboration some are you know have it down they have the systems they have their contracts for you at what point like who should fire the first contract i guess like <laughs> Did you wait to see if the brand is going to present you with one? Do you both have them? Yeah. Uh, so I think, so my, and it's funny because I have, you know, my like blogging side experience and then my attorney side. Um, I always recommend that you have a contract on hand, like a template that you use when you work with brands, um, just in case, you know, they do ask you for one. And in my experience, like the bigger the brand, the more likely they are to have their own contract that they want you to sign. Um, what I do on like my blogging side, I always ask um, if they have a contract for me to sign because honestly, if they have one, I kind of, I don't really want to put the effort into drafting mm. up one of my own. Right. I mean, yeah. there are, but I will say, I, I don't mind pointing out things that I want them to change in a contract when they send one over. So to somebody that, you know, maybe isn't as confident reading 
a contract, having your own and presenting that to the brand might be a better idea because then you're able to control a little bit more because um, you're kind of setting the terms from the beginning. So um, I think it just depends on your comfort level, but I do always recommend having some sort of template on hand so that you're not caught off guard if a brand um, that you know wanna, wants to work with you, if they ask you for a contract, you want to have something that you're like confident in. Yeah. And if they don't, like I've worked with a few that are pretty unsophisticated with the whole process and they're kind of just throwing product. Winging in, it too sometimes. <laughs> but should in that case, like if they're going to move ahead without any kind of terms, I always have like deliverables and tell them what I'm going to do from a exchange sure. standpoint of work. But should you add a contract to it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, okay. um, like that's kind of my way is I always ask like, Oh, do you have a contract that you're going to send over? And if they say no, then you can just say, okay, I'll send, I'll go ahead and send mine over. Um, and then that way it's just like one place where both parties can refer back to, it has everything. It has the deliverables, it has the payment. Um, you know, I think it gets kind of like a little money when you're doing in-kind collaboration so yeah. it's just an exchange um but you know in, in you guys industry like i would assume most of the stuff you're doing for exchange is stuff that's high dollar prices so i mm -hmm. mean it's probably a good idea to have the contract in place just so everyone's on the same page about you know what we're well yeah if sign a contract and then there's a global pandemic and it's hard to get the work completed and photographed something like that yeah yes yeah yeah the, the good old force majeure clause is uh finally we are, coming. To, we are definitely going to talk about that was like i've had there we both rebecca and i kind of keep our fingers on the pulse of some of the interior design facebook groups and um that question keeps coming up from and you can sort of like sort through where questions are getting asked and then other designers are saying you do have a clause for this right like you do have and they're asking it to some other designers who maybe don't have it or they're not sure how it covers them so we do definitely want to talk a little bit about that um because i worked in i worked 13 years in a banking career before mm -hmm. i became a designer and I've always got sort of this compliance background and what's the worst case scenario. Um, and I think in contracts in particular, something I learned working in that environment was a lot of contracts are meant to be seen as part of negotiation, especially like we're talking about brand partnerships or relationships that you, you can finesse terms if you feel comfortable with what someone else is asking for. And I know that scares a lot of other designers that it feels almost like um, a disrespect. I would say if I was getting it from a client, I might be more anxious than if it was working with a brand where something is gonna be exchanged and we just want it to be mutually beneficial. Um, I think there's this idea that gets created that contracts shouldn't be touched, that you just, you buy a house, you buy a car, it, it, it's done. You have to sign it or you don't get what you want, but it's not always the same in business, right? Definitely. Yes. That's what I tell all of my clients, especially, um, I feel like in the blogging space and then you're right. It's like, especially if it's a bigger brand that maybe you're, you're getting to work with, um, you know, people think they just have to sign whatever is sent to them. And that is not the case at all. That's the starting point. Um, and you know, 
most people or you should understand that it is a negotiation. Like it's, you know, they should be expecting, the person who sends the first contract should be expecting the other party to send back edits to that initial contract. So yeah, I think you nailed it. It should be a negotiation. It shouldn't be, you know, this is take it or leave it. Because we we negotiate with our clients about like how, what's the proposed budget for this? Or what's our timeline? Or what are we delivering in our scope of work? Like those are all, negotiable pieces that even end up as part of our contracts with clients and we we're in more control over what we agree to put into that contract but we're still negotiating that with our clients so there still is a lot of back and forth built in yeah definitely what are some of the like worst case scenarios i've obviously rebecca (laughs) global (laughs) pandemic is (laughs) one of them but what have you seen, like, have, do you have any, like, horror stories, either for, cre- probably particularly for creatives that we could, we don't even realize what we could be opening ourselves up to or getting in trouble with? Yeah, I mean, I would say, th- I mean, number one is have a contract in place. <laughs> um, because, you know, some people come to me after something has happened and I ask them, okay, well, can you send me your contract? Like, let's see, you know, what are you really liable for? Or like, what does this client really owe you? And they don't have a contract. So I would okay. say number one is to have a contract in place. Um, I would say, you know, important details are you want to obviously making sure all the the you know payment deadlines things like that that are uh, that would be important to your business and to keep your business moving forward those are important things um but then on this other side is protecting your business so making sure you know depending what industry you're in like for you guys like any liability that maybe you might be exposed to um if i know there are differences between like residential and commercial i don't know all the ins and outs like you guys probably know way more about those details than i do but making sure that um you know you're covered in your contract for anything that you might be liable for whether that's like physical injury or um monetary damages so you know, if you cause, I'm trying to think of an example in the interior space. Um, A big one for us is like the furniture or accessories themselves that we're having delivered and installed differently. And, you know, we get how inconvenient it is if like a dresser is damaged or like, I, I get it. There's an inconvenience factor to that, but like then there's the true value of the dresser or credenza or whatever we're installing. And I think that's key for designers and clients to make sure that we understand that you're not, clients aren't necessarily going to be compensated for too much inconvenience factor versus lost time. Yeah. Lost time. Or if it's on back order when we get it, like, yeah, yeah, totally. And then I think, I know, I think we talked about this too before, but any, you know, if you're, pulling pieces that maybe are quote vintage or you know you don't want to be on the hook for the expense of if the client doesn't like it like you want to make sure that's type of things are in your contract too um so that you're not you know eating a cost that they should for so yeah just making sure like all those details are very clear in your contract yeah we talked about i think when you and i talked about we talked about how there's like one of a kind Right, sort of yeah. stuff that you're like, this is handmade. Like I have zero control over the, the exact finish, the exact color. Photographs are always different. 
And so some of that's built into the way we create product proposals or invoices for things and want to make sure there's disclaimers in there. So or I saw on one of the boards groups that somebody's imported table ended up having a bug infestation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, that one was one where I was like, oh no, like this could go okay. south really fast if they say they've got these like foreign bugs now living in their house. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like you said, you kind of want to think of all the worst case scenarios that could happen and include language in your contract to protect against being liable for those. And this, I don't know, this may be a dumb question, but where does your insurance coverage kind of intersect with that? Because so, so like damaged furniture or you make a error, then your arrow in emissions coverage yeah. needs to well, I'm not an insurance expert and I right. tell all my clients this um <laughs> but I always advise them to reach out to their insurance carrier because they obviously deal with these type of claims all the time and um so that's always my advice I always uh, I feel like I always have to refer people out to insurance agents and mm -hmm. they work <laughs> yeah I mean it all works together and kind of yeah. overlaps at certain points I, I don't have a good answer for you there but yeah. I mean, the ideal situation is that assuming we cover ourselves properly with the language in our contracts and that those are kind of built to a reasonable standard that I think for most insurers, again, I'm not insurance either, but my experience with my insurance company has been for most purposes, they want to be able to provide some level of protection and that their intent is to be there to support you as the consumer, or in my case, my business is their customer. They want to help with those scenarios. But if I don't have a contract that at least gave them a limit to that exposure, mm -hmm. they, they don't even want to touch it then because they're like, well, we're now on the hook for potentially any amount or number or time frame, And it makes it really hard for them. I mean, I get it. They've got shareholders too. They don't want to be looking at these completely out of this world number when yeah. they get right and we're paid. like trying to run a service-based business where we're not just trying to write these contracts and have these documents that are just like you're on your own like whatever happened to that piece of furniture like we just were writing you off like we're trying to also make it right in most scenarios so yeah yeah i don't want someone trash talking options. me over a bug infested dresser like yeah. That's not, well, that's not I mean, good that for sucks. my business either. I mean, that sucks for the customer. Like something, like we have to try to make it as right as we can without like going bankrupt. ourselves and yeah. going bankrupt. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I don't know, we'll probably chat about this in the COVID related um, issues, but I think it's always important too to keep in mind, like there are, there are legal issues that you can obviously always rely on your contract and your contract language, but also like keeping in mind the business decisions and that's, exactly what you're kind of getting at right now it's like you yeah you want the contract there to have everything laid out but also like you know be flexible and you don't want people talking bad about you so maybe like you know try and try and fix the situations as best as possible yeah it's not always about like oh this isn't in our terms like you agreed yeah. to this it's like okay do i really want to be like in court with you over this like if if someone is particularly, if a client becomes litigious, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of that in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to fix this 
somehow. So the worst case is that they could try to sue me and then it could get really expensive and I have to bring on, you know, retain an attorney or involve my insurance. And I'm just thinking like, it'd be great if it didn't end up with that. Even if in principle in my contract, I'm, you know, quote, right about the scenario. It's not always about being right, unfortunately. Yeah. It's just hard for me to admit. (laughs) 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 Um, What are there, you're kind of, you kind of touched on that. Um, What are avenues that are out there for designers to resolve conflict in, in legal situations? that they should know, that you would want people to know about, like there are options if it does get past the, like you're having a disagreement with your client. Yeah. What's next? Yeah, so um, I always try to, I, whenever a client reaches out to me and they have an issue with a client, with one of their clients, um, you know, I think it's just helpful to get somebody on the phone. Like I feel like if somebody calls me, and needs help dealing with the client, I kind of talk them down. And I think that's kind of my job too, as an attorney is like, <laughs> okay, let's like look at the reality of the situation. You know, uh, what can we do to try to fix this? What can we do to try to like calm your client down? Um, because I think that like you kind of mentioned, like if one of your clients comes at you and doesn't agree and is not being flexible and, you know, appears litigious, um, then, you start to freak out. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I think, you know, even just like bouncing it off, like you guys obviously have one another. And um, even if you have an attorney friend, it could be helpful. Um, but yeah, I think always like looking at other avenues beyond just the terms in a contract, um, because it has to go, things have to go through a lot of different steps before, you know, somebody's filing a lawsuit in court. Um, so just, you know, keeping that in mind and, kind of looking at all options of, you know, how can we resolve this to where both parties are kind of satisfied? Sorry, that was not a very direct answer, but <laughs> I feel like I think it's situational. It's almost like if you're picking up the phone and just like getting on a call with them, it's almost like how, uh, like an, not, is it arbitration? No, mediation. You're like <laughs> trying to mediate it without being in an official legal mediation situation of like, okay, guys, like, let's just, you could do this and you could do that and it would be a big mess and it's going to cost all this time and money and energy. Or we could, like, what would make you happy and what would make you happy? And you're right. just... And I've found, like, in not nothing major, but little client, um, just annoying things that happen or delays. Like, a lot of times they just want to vent their frustration and feel like they're being heard and not just written off. So I think there's like you're saying there's various steps until you get into a lawsuit, but making sure you're talking everything out, making sure you're like listening and really understanding what they're upset about and try the first line of defense to just help them feel better. Yeah, for sure. Usually can hopefully can resolve, but again, I've never had anything super crazy. Most yeah, of the time. I mean, it's mostly time that people get upset yeah. about. There are those weird scenarios you hear about there where like the cabinetry measurement was wrong and the designer submitted it and then a whole bunch of custom cabinetry was made with the wrong dimensions and it's like, well, that could foreseeably eat all the capital that designer had earned that year to be able to have to fix that. 
And I think those are where they start, as you start to scale up your businesses, you're thinking, okay, at some point the liability does come back to me. And I can't just say, oh, the cabinet guy could have caught it or, oh, the client was technically responsible because they paid. And it's like, well, you're still, they you were still involved. You still provided a drawing with the wrong measurements or wrong details. And so there's only so much that could be given to other parties mm-hmm. and, and, and you were still involved. And I think um, that's super scary for uh, any business to think, oh my gosh, all that profit we earned this year that we were going to use to scale up next year or hire help is now gone because we made one mistake. And it it just hurts to have to f- admit that sometimes. And so much of your um, personal feelings are tied up in that decision. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, I think that's where as designers, we we are our companies, even though it is a whole separate entity on its own it's really hard to separate our emotions from our businesses because we have so much tied into that and I'm sure it's same, the same for you in that you, you are your business in what you do and working with creatives and working on your blog it's all the same person yeah yeah I mean yeah and I think just to kind of follow up on the book end it but you know, it goes back to having the contract in place and having the correct insurance in place and just having my job too. I think of it as providing people with a peace of mind. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the beginning kind of, you know, a lot of people start their own businesses. They kind of piece together contracts here and there. I think when a lot of clients come to me, it's like they kind of breathe a sigh of relief and they're like, okay, like I can finally have somebody review this and tell me, you know, is this okay? Am I doing this correctly? Like what language? which needs to be changed. I think, you know, that kind of goes a long way. Yeah. And when I've worked with an attorney, um, even on just like my trust, she set it up so that we never have to change it again, no matter if we buy or sell a new house, if we had more kids or different pets or whatever, like they, (laughs) like you guys know the language that covers all these possibilities for the most part. And we don't, because we will get, like I get stuck in the weeds of, what if there's bugs? What if there's that? Like it doesn't, you know, yeah. we don't need to put bugs in the contract. Like, yeah. There's umbrella statements that can protect for all the scenarios. Yeah, for sure. Do you use a lot of like umbrella or like in legal terms, it's like boilerplate language where, Hey, these are like, this will cover like almost all the scenarios that are going to happen to most businesses. And and if it doesn't cover you completely, it's got enough language in there that the intent is behind it. Do you find that most of your stuff builds from that? Yeah, there's a lot of boilerplate language that's used um, in the contract world. Um, and it's funny because I feel like I keep going back to this, but with the pandemic, people have been emailing me like, I want this specific language in my contract to like, you know, address anything that happens <laughs> similar to this. I'm like, okay, well, you know, there is general language that we can put in there that, you know, addresses the situation. It doesn't have to be, you know, like you said, it doesn't have to be like, you know, this certain type of Same European blog infestation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, you can definitely put in language where, you know, you're covered under a certain set of circumstances that may happen. Are there, what, what have you... I, I would love to know what you're hearing and what you're advising people on that make that legally makes sense 
in situations like this? Because I think this is dealing in the times of like COVID-19 is something that you were told to like be prepared for this stuff. And then obviously not everything is prepared for it. So even as a business, what are other creatives coming to you and needing now? Yeah, so um, obviously I think that, you know, a hard hit area has been events. So I have a lot of event planning and wedding planning type clients. Um, Mm -hmm. So obviously those can't happen right now. And for you guys, like I'm assuming you're not going to people's homes right now. (laughs) Um, Not as often. Some designers are because construction is still deemed essential. And so they're having to observe social distancing um, I have projects where we were in planning stages still, so we're not, nothing's been demoed yet. So I'm fortunate that where my project phases are, they're separated. But Rebecca has clients that are waiting for installation, but receivers who are holding all the merchandise are are closed right now or not able to deliver, un, you know, unless they're in certain circumstances. So things have been held up Um and that's challenging because you you can't meet a deliverable timeline to like yeah. install someone's home with all their furniture right now. Yeah. And I think one of the like unique things about this, you know, current situation is that every single person is affected. So it's not just, you know, it's not just like you guys on your end being affected, like your clients also understand that, you know, things are being held up, you can't come into their homes and there can't be a million people in one space at one time. So I think that's kind of one unique um, kind of issue to this whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic that's going on right now. Um, so I've found that a bunch of, most of my clients are coming to me. A lot of their own clients have been like very understanding and also they understand that, um, you know, the service provider it's their business. So the, their own clients have been very understanding and, you know, rescheduling and kind of working around. Um, I think the challenge for a lot of people is the cash flow, like keeping up yeah. you know, cash flow and hopefully we can get back to something semi-normal soon. So it's, you know, maybe two months of low cash flow. So I've, I've had some conversations with some of my clients on, you know, kind of trying to figure out different ways to, uh, keep some money coming in. So, uh, you know, for example, like some photographers, if their clients are rescheduling for later in the year or maybe in 2021, um, requesting an additional payment be made. So instead of having a big lump, you know, payment 30 days before some event, having uh, the client pay, make a third installment when initially maybe there were only two installments due. So the price isn't actually going up for the client, but they're just paying it you know, giving, giving their some cash flow to the photographer. So having those type of conversations with clients on like, okay, what can we do to kind of keep things going in the meantime? Right. Yeah. I think that's where retainers make sense a lot for in in Mm -hmm. our field is that I generally generate a proposal early that talks about how much my design time will be. And I collect a quarter of my time and every designer does it a little bit differently as I talk to multiple some of them collect more less but I I feel like that retainer is mine that even with projects slowed down right now I still have that retained balance which in theory if they were to completely shut down a project a portion or some of that would go back to the client 
Um, but in at least a number of cases, it at least has some cash on hand. Mm -hmm. um, and I have come across a number of designers who don't collect anything in advance. So they really don't, they're, they're really at the mercy of the client when a payment is due, that there is no money set aside that the client has already paid up front as like a deposit or a retainer for what they're doing. And that could help with some of that cash flow. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think the retainer is, is key for that. Um, yeah, I think it's just like un unique and every you know client is in a different situation, uh, especially depending on your industry. So it's been interesting, like just chatting through different issues that everyone's going through right now. Um, but like I said, at least I think it's kind of a positive that everyone is being affected in, in a sense of everyone's being more understanding than I think, you know, I don't know, it might be the case if everyone weren't in the same boat. <laughs> totally. Like childcare, for instance, <laughs> everyone <laughs> who has a kid is home with them right now and it's disruptive to say the least. <laughs> so that's, yeah, been great knowing that I don't have to over explain that to most people. So yeah, no, you, I'm they like, get it. Like yeah. Elsa is calling in the background right now. Like, <laughs> there's only so much I can do about that. <laughs> I think, uh, I, yeah, people seem to be, I know there are some awful stories. I think a lot of what you hear right now where people are like lashing out at service providers or something is the emo the raw emotion of these because they've got a kid at home singing with Elsa while they're trying to work or or anything <laughs> like that some of that is reflecting back out um and not that it's okay to take it out on each other but it's just I think we see where it's coming from and it's yeah. not it's not so much that they're like angry that something can't get put into their house it's more just like angry at the situation yeah, yeah it's like general. one more thing yeah um what what does force majeure cover? Like, that's probably a weird concept for people if they don't have it in their contract right now, but what does yeah. that in general do for designers? Yeah, so force majeure clause, some people call it an act of God clause, mm -hmm. um, is generally a kind of boilerplate language that you want to have included in your contract. And it essentially gives both parties a way out of the obligations that are, you know, set out in the contract. If an event occurs, which kind of we define as a force majeure event occurs that makes um, following through with the contract entirely impossible. So it can't just be, you know, that it's an inconvenience or, you know, it's just <laughs> kind of want to cancel the, the contract. It has to be an event that happens that literally makes it impossible to fulfill um, the terms of the contract. So, so usually before, you know, we had a pandemic, um, usually it would be like a fire or a flood. So if like, you know, a project you're working on, say the house burns down, and that would, you know, render the contract. You wouldn't. It would be entirely impossible to fill, fulfill the obligations under the contract. Um, so it would ultimately relieve both parties of any obligation. So the client would not have to pay. Um, they would really only have to pay up to, you know, the expenses that you, as the designer, has incurred, and for any um, 
you know, hourly work that you've put in. So you would be, you should be paid up to the point of the force majeure event, um, but they wouldn't be obligated to pay you for anything beyond that. And then likewise, you wouldn't be responsible for performing any more services um, beyond the date of the force majeure event. And it depends, you know, some language is written differently. Like some contracts say if a force majeure event happens, the client, they're the party that it happens to has to give notice to the other party that they're incurring this like force majeure event. Um, so it kind of depends on what language is written in your contract, but those are kind of the basics um, of the force majeure clause. Okay. Seems important. Yeah. <laughs> it's essentially, it's yeah. something you know that people overlook and and maybe a lot of people have it in their contract and they never understood what it even meant and now it's very apparent that it's important um even though it used to be you know a clause that lists out like a string of all these things that you're like okay this is never gonna happen because it'll say you know if there's a war if there's riots if there are mm -hmm. you know all these like crazy things but now I mean, we know that it's important i mean i live in i live in greater los angeles so a riot doesn't sound that weird <laughs> because like growing up like my mom worked in downtown la and she was like i'm not going to work this week like there's riots going so it it might it not sound happen. too far-fetched, but it definitely could happen. And then maybe I think that's in a, a number of people's minds now that we, of course, mm. didn't plan for this scale. And we don't want this to be a, a COVID-19 episode. But I think the long-term lesson from what you're saying is we don't know what that next event will be. And it may not be on a global scale. It may, may really be that there is, you know, an event that happens to your, your client's home like a fire and maybe you still would like to keep working with them, but not under that contract you started with. And so it's going to have to end that agreement. And then at some point when they're in a place, you can start again. And you don't want to be tied to a project for years going through insurance and arson investigations or whatever it could be. You don't want to be tied to that project and feeling like you're a prisoner to it. Yeah. Well, I think we all, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I think we all have an understanding now of what that means to have the world be out of our control. Like, I think we all just had wishful thinking, nothing about mm -hmm. what's, what's the worst that can happen is my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. But now we're like, oh, actually, That's pretty much that the worst. <laughs> really fast. And there's nothing we can do. Like, I can't just go do something else. Like, there's, we're trapped in this yeah. situation. Yeah. And I think too, it's important to remember one more thing on the force majeure clause is um, I've had a few clients kind of not under, they want to still sit. So, so say you have a retainer um, and a force majeure event happens and you haven't really done any work, you know, to, to be paid that amount or whatever the amount might be of the retainer. Um, I have some clients who want to, they're like, but can we insert a clause where they don't get the retainer back if, you know, first oh. event happens. I'm like, no, that's not the point of the force. That's shady. Clause. So they're like, I think they're thinking only that the force majeure clause is supposed to, you know, protect the client. But I, I have to explain, like, no, it's to protect you as well. Because, like you said, if right. it, like, what if you know your house burns down and you are like, I can't do this timeline. You know, it's also to protect you in the event that you can't fulfill the needs of your clients. Yeah. So that, I think it's important that, to kind of keep in mind. 
and you want to be a good person. Like, right. That's sorry your house that, burned down, but I'm keeping your yeah. money. The shade of it all, because I'm just like stuck on that. Like, wait, you didn't do the work, but still want to get paid for it just because like something bad happened, which like, okay, I get it. We're all there. There are so many people in different situations right now. Some with non-essential, not being paid, furlough days, all of that. I totally, I, I empathize with the, where the thought process is coming from of like, well, if this money is gone, how do I get paid? Or I use that money from that retainer to invest in new camera equipment. Like if you're working with some photographers, that money may not be there. And so maybe it's just like, I don't know, there's no magic solution, but it could just be like, hey, client, th this is something we need to figure out. This was unexpected. And I'm in the process of dealing with payroll and business expenses. And so I need some time to shake this stuff out. And I, there's no magic way to make money, new money appear if that happened. But yeah. And I think a lot of that is like just the initial shock of like, wait, I, don't, I have to give back all this money. Yes. So I'm not saying that they would have actually gone through that. But I think, yeah, I think that's just like the initial like, wait, like how can is I? Is there a way? <laughs> and the short answer is there's not. Yeah. So let's yeah. not even try it. Yeah. Uh, that's good. This is good. Um, I think Rebecca and I, we had spent some time before you joined us that we were looking at some of your templates and going through your website again. And um, I think- Yeah. I, well, I had a couple questions. One's gonna like put you on the spot. Like I love your <laughs> contract templates that are like specific to certain creative needs. Have you thought about doing any for interior designers? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, the templates, like that is always on my to-do list. And obviously my client work comes first. So a lot of, of the times I put it to the back burner. Um, but yes, no, that is certainly, I'm actually working on two templates this week that should be up soon um, for some website language. But um, interior design yeah. is definitely on my list. Um, I find, it's funny because I, with interior design, I feel like a lot of you guys, like y'all run your businesses very differently. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's almost like, a lot of the contracts have so many nuances to them. So yeah, so I need, but I need That's to work true. on that. getting a little I still think people could stand to have a single place to start though. Yeah. Because I started with the ASID um, templates for American Society of Interior Designers and they're, they were okay. Like I said, I, they got me through like my first two years, but by the third year I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be sitting around editing this I don't know the right language to edit these things and I'm out I'm outgrowing them or they're just not working for the model that I'm working with but I, I would have appreciated a more accessible place to start because I know that those templates are they can be very cost prohibitive um, they can be expensive and it would be nice to have a first like stepping stone like that especially yeah. i like that yours are attached to you so like we could start with a template but then get your revisions you know pay you to do some more specific yeah. specific to our own needs personally yeah well okay i'll move that one to the top <laughs> 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 yeah and i mean anyone who ever buys a template from me i feel like they can attest um very accessible so, yeah. yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like there was any, um, 
gap between when, when you and I went over where I was starting from and like what I was trying to get to, I still felt like you had immediate resources at your disposal. Like you, I'm not, you're not paying me for this, <laughs> but I was just very pleased with the, the efficiency. Like it was quick work. So, I mean, having a template probably makes it that much faster for you. Yeah. Uh, but I still Especially felt like if you wrote the template, like you know, the language you can navigate it faster than we yeah. could. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and I wonder if, um, like having a template, so now we're coaching you, but <laughs> for market like research, flat, like a flat fee, um, proposal and then an hourly, like, I don't know if John, it's, would that be a, cause I know like talking about how yeah. complicated we approach our contracts, like maybe that would be a good start. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. No, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Most of it might need some work it might need some workshopping like if designers <laughs> are coming to you you might it might need some finessing but I think that's yeah where it's so I I constantly am seeing and hearing from other designers that there's this like gap where they feel I experienced it in other parts of my business but particularly with legal I was like I just don't feel like anybody that I'm talking to and kind of doing pre-screening calls with other attorneys really understood what I'm doing like they don't and they didn't want the, the other part of that was it didn't seem like they wanted to know how designers operate mm. they just wanted to throw language at it and it could be that they were perfectly capable of writing a contract I needed but I didn't feel like I should work with them if they didn't want to take the time to understand the business model and so that's an advantage to you that I felt was important was she's already working in creative and working with other creatives and so there were more things on your radar about the way that creative industries work yeah yeah no for sure and I think that's kind of you know what led me into doing this type of work too is um I like I totally understand that the law firm side of things. So I know that most creatives, like you're a solo business owner, maybe you're a small business owner, like you're not gonna go to a firm and get the attention that mm -hmm. I think that you need. And then the price is very prohibitive. Um, so, and then the great thing about the templates is I try to make those like super accessible um, price-wise, because I think, it, like you said, it's a good starting point. Um, and yeah, I don't know, that's kind of just, my goal is to make it accessible, like easy to understand, kind of take a scary topic and make it not so bad. <laughs> which is the, which just like goes hand in hand with our industry because there's so much like opaqueness to what and how an interior designer works and how a client can work with us. So there's, I know a lot of clients who've never done it before are nervous and we don't want to like just barf legalese on them because it doesn't help them understand the process more. So it's just this yeah. kind of like back and forth nuance of protecting everybody involved, but also making it easy to understand and not scary. And yeah, it's not like a your 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 work that you did for me that I saw, and that I mean I can attest to what your work was for me, and I'm sure your other templates and things are similar. But your work focused on making the language easy to understand for someone who doesn't work with the law so that clients could read it and understand exactly what the intent is of a certain clause or a certain disclosure. So what, whether it was refunds or how, you know, how that money is applied or whatever, it's, it's not meant to be confusing and ambiguous for a client to look at it. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, for all of my clients, I always, if at the end of our project, you know, hop on a call, go through the entire contract. Cause I want everyone to be comfortable, um, you know, explaining the contract language to their own clients. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the goal and it's to make it I've, simple to understand. I've definitely seen the like, well, I'm just going to send this over to you and you're going to sign it and it's going to be fine. And then when a question comes back, the other the designer doesn't really know why that language is in there or what it means or how a situation gets dealt with if there is a problem and then that becomes a whole other issue in, in selling our confidence to our clients of well this is why that's there and this is how it would work let me give you an example and i think that has the potential to give a client so much more confidence in that oh this person knows how they're running their business they know how to plan for these scenarios so I'm protected if I sign this and I work with them too, that it gives me an avenue. They've thought it through. Yeah. Well, I think we should do like a fun little palette cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> because we're, contracts are serious business, but we like to also have fun. So, we put together a quick little kiss, marry, kill. Do you okay. Know what I mean, when I say that, okay. so you. Like okay. so this is the quarantine edition. <laughs> um, so you have to pick, you know, one to kiss, one to marry, one to kill. Okay. Netflix, FaceTime slash video chat, or your coziest leggings. Ooh. Um. Okay. I'm going to marry FaceTime. Shocking. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm going to kiss Netflix and kill my leggings. Maybe controversial. Because <laughs> when like, quarantine's over, you can just get some more favorite leggings. I, okay, so it's like I feel like I get railed on this, but since I work from home, I like I get dressed every day. So I'm not a big leggings person. I don't yeah. know. So I like just, full, like not even just like waist up, like news reporter yeah. style. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, I've done it for so long. Like it doesn't, I mean, sure. There's some days where I'm like, Oh, I don't think I'm going to put you know, joggers on, but I don't know. I could do without them. So. <laughs> Right, that was good. I mean, I don't have any leggings, so. <laughs> well, what would your be your version? Cozy sweatpants, jammy pants. I actually only have like one pair of sweatpants. I'm not a sweatpants, but also that's a southern in Southern California. I feel like uh, it's a little indulgent to be like, let's turn my AC on just so I can wear sweatpants when it's already warm most of the time. But I do have like gym shorts that I don't really. I don't go to the gym, so <laughs> I have gym your, shorts. Your cozy I, shorts? Yeah, just like shorts to wear around, like if I'm going to work in the yard or something. I mean, I guess I'd get rid of those if I had to. I could always get something else. <laughs> but Netflix is, Netflix is like not an option for me to get rid of right now. I would, yeah. but I couldn't even keep doing my business without, without Zoom or FaceTime or stuff like that. Like I, right now, quarantine edition, There'd I'd be some mental health married. issues. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice. Yeah. Surprisingly nice addition. 
that was our that's our new segment, Kiss Mary Kill Quarantine Edition. And hopefully we won't have to keep playing quarantine edition for too much longer, but fingers <laughs> crossed. Ashley, we'd love to have you tell our listeners how they can find you and get in touch with you. Sure. So I know I said I was going to do this at the beginning and then I forgot, but I'll give my little legal disclaimer um, that all of this was just uh, for educational purposes, not legal advice. So that's my little uh, legal spiel. Protects you. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Instagram at contracts for creatives. And then my website is ashleyhightower.com and Ashley is with two E's. Awesome. I think it's good to just check out what you do. Your blog is awesome too on top of that. And you've got a lot of great tips and advice. And I think readers would like to take a look at that. Thank you. Yeah. That's all at Cobalt Chronicles everywhere. So yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, hop on over. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ashley, for being here with us today. And we appreciate it. Contract in order. Yeah, no, thank you. This is so great. Very cool. You guys. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D.